Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Yeah, we'll now transition into the sermon, nice and awkwardly like. <laughs> All right, so we are in, we're in the season of Lent. Um, we are kind of a week and a half into the season of Lent, and last week we talked about how Lent is this season that we get to kind of just name the places of death that are in our lives. We get to name the places where if we continue to participate in this thing, it's going to kill us, and it's a place where we can confess these things to God and to one another and turn back to God towards life in Him. And it's my hope that we would use the season of death, that we would use the season that begins with dust, it begins with ash, and just a reminder that we are dust, that we would enter into the season, that we would welcome this invitation to explore our souls and allow God to reveal the places of death in our lives and to be able to name them so that when Easter comes, we can feel his restoration and that we can feel restored and moved towards the things of God and that we can experience life in place of those places that we have been experiencing death. And so last week we looked at Hosea. We looked at Hosea and how Hosea was <laughs> this prophet of God who God called to marry this harlot, and this harlot was named Gomer, and Gomer was this kind of representation of us and how we have uh, played the harlot as well with God, that we have abandoned him and that we have sought out things that we thought was going to fulfill us and give us life, and we have found ourselves empty and tired and dead and worn out. And we heard that God is pursuing us, that God is present to us, and that he does not want us to live in that place, but he wants to free us from that space and invite us back into life again. In many ways, this morning we're going to enter into kind of the next prophet, Joel, as we look at this series of return. And we're going to enter again into this place of death. But Joel takes this death perspective just a little bit differently. Now Hosea Hosea is kind of about this, like, we have made these decisions and seeking fulfillment, and we have found ruin at the end of that. It's kind of this cause and effect relationship. In Joel, what we find is that it is about leading us to this place where we are kind of ultimately just laid bare, where we have found ourselves in the middle of ruin, where God is, is kind of just taking away life from us, where we feel like life is just being pulled out from us, where we're being sucked dry, where we have ultimately nothing left to give. This is where Joel starts. When we open the book of Joel, it begins in this place of famine and plague. And so let's open to Joel and kind of get our minds around this kind of death that Joel is talking about and how God wants to free us from this death in our lives, because I believe that this type of death is also present. But it's not just always about us running to things that will fulfill us and finding them empty, but there are also places where life just kind of goes sideways and we have nothing left to give. And so this is where it begins. In Joel chapter 1, verse 4, this is what the prophet Joel says. So he looks around and he sees this famine and he, this plague and he asks this question. He says, what the cutting locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust have eaten. And so there's kind of this three plagues of swarming locusts, hopping locusts, and destroying locusts, and it's all gone. 
It's all gone. If we go to verse 10, it says this. It says, the fields are destroyed. The ground mourns. Because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, and the oil languishes. This is a tough spot that the nation of Israel finds themselves in. Famine and plague have struck, and there is nothing left alive. The fruit has stopped. The fields have stopped. The vines have stopped producing. There is nothing left. It's kind of a lot like winter. Like, we look outside at winter like, and even though the snow is melting, it's kind of revealed that, like, the ground is dead. Like, there's no fruit right now. You have a little bit of winter berries, but, like, nothing that you can, like, really survive off of. Everything has gone to hibernation. Everything is kind of hidden away. The trees are not bearing fruit. The vine's not bearing fruit. The fields are not bearing fruit. Like, the only way that we're surviving this winter is because we've either stored some stuff up to make it through this season, or we're picking food that is being produced somewhere else and we're shipping it near us. Like that's how we make it through this season of death and kind of desolation. But in Israel's time, famine could strike at any moment and a swarm of locusts could strike at any moment. And they never had the ability to, to save up and they don't have the infrastructure to send food there. And so when famine and plague strike, guess what? There's no food. And when there's no food, people die. And so the people of Israel are experiencing death in a very physical and tangible way. And they are laid bare. A couple of verses before in verse 9 it says that the priests mourn because there is nothing left to offer God in sacrifice. The people have nothing left to give God. They have nothing left. And in this situation, it's a situation of punishment and discipline on the people of Israel. It's a foretaste of a judgment that is coming. Joel describes this judgment that if the people of Israel are going to continue in their sin, that the day of the Lord is coming. And he describes this day of the Lord as a day of darkness and gloom where fire consumes and flames burn. And in that day, no one will be able to endure it. That no one will be able to escape the destruction on the day of the Lord. But Joel, he looks at this he looks at this plague, he looks at this, uh, sorry, at this famine, and he sees that this is a warning. That this isn't the judgment itself, but God is giving them a warning. And warnings are good, because warnings are a place of grace. A lot of times we don't like punishment. A lot of times we don't like it when we hear the idea that God is going to punish us, because we automatically jump to judgment. And we automatically think that God is against us. But any good parent is going to discipline and punish their children because they want their child to go in a better way. They want their child to move in a new way. They're, they're looking at the acts of that child and they know that the, those actions of that child are not good. And so the way that we extend grace to our children at times is by punishing them and by disciplining them. And so there are times where God will come into our lives and he will punish us and he will discipline us and he will give us strong warning to not continue in the ways that we are going because judgment is coming. Sorry, that's Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a good time. Oh, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> we left him alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. He's not. We left him without our presence. <laughs> 
All right. So, sorry. So there's this warning that is grace. And what, what we find is that with punishment and with <laughs> discipline and with warning, that there's an opportunity to return. There's an opportunity to kind of correct course, to come back to the way of life. And we praise God for warnings. Like we should praise God for warnings, even though they're painful. And we never get that. We never get that from our kids, right? We discipline our kids. It's never like, oh, thank you, mom and dad. I'm so glad that you disciplined me because, you know, I was going the wrong way. And because you, you know, put me in time out, I now clearly see that this is the right way to go. Like that never happens, right? But like, hopefully that God in his punishment, in his warning, we would be able to recognize and say, God, thank you. Thank you for warning me. Thank you for preventing this judgment that's coming from befalling upon me. And so what I want us to see this morning is that maybe we find ourselves in a dry place. Maybe we find ourselves in a place where death has surrounded us and we are laid bare because maybe God is trying to warn you. I know that these are kind of under extreme circumstances and there are places where like maybe God is just bringing ruin upon you and you, you know, you've got something going on and you don't know why and maybe God is just trying to warn you and he's trying to wake you up to the sin that's in your life. I would also say that there are other causes for desolation and being laid bare in our life because what's going on here is that like these people, they're exhausted. They have no food. The people around them are dying. They have nothing left to offer God. And I think that that resonates with our soul as well, that there are places in our lives, there are seasons in our lives where we can resonate with the people of Israel, not because of our sin, but because of actions that other people have taken, because of decisions and choices that other people have made against us, because of external realities that have happened to us, that we find ourselves in this season of being laid bare, of being picked over, of being exhausted, where it feels like just everything in life is going wrong. That nothing is happening the way that I hoped that it would turn out. And so I think that sometimes, even though in Joel here it is specifically a warning, it is a warning against their sin, I think sometimes we can enter into this place like Israel, and God's not warning us, it's just really hard. It's just really difficult. And it's in these places that we find ourselves laid bare and raw. Some of these places that leave us laid bare and raw are oftentimes in places of loss. I remember God, I don't know why God did this, but God laid our school bare in the year of 2006. year 2006, my school of like 500 kids, high school of 500, we lost four classmates that year. I mean, we lost two on the same day, in the same incident. And it just, it was eerie, just walking through the hall, like no one really knowing how to process that. I mean, we, were, we, were, we were like Israel in this place of just like barren, mourning, death. Maybe you've seen the end of a marriage You've seen how like that just kind of like lays waste to our lives. Maybe you've had a sudden loss of a loved one. Maybe you've had a terminal illness. Maybe you've lost a parent. And that has just like brought you into the season where it's just like, man, everything 
everything is just dead. Everything, like there's no life, there's no joy. This is a season of just continual depression. Maybe you lost your job, maybe you lost your home. Maybe you lost a child. Maybe, maybe not in a way that you, maybe you, maybe you did lose a child when it was young. Maybe you had a miscarriage. Maybe you also lost a child as they've like grown up and like left your home. Like, I know that in all of these seasons and all these ways, it leaves us kind of reeling. Just like, what? What is going on? How am I supposed to respond in this place of loss? Maybe even you live in it constantly in a state of depression and anxiety. And your whole world just feels like winter all the time. And it's long and it's hard. I mean, there are a number of struggles in our lives that lead us to this place that Joel has described. This place where all we do is look around and see death. And, all, and it takes all that we have to struggle against it. And it's in this place where we have, we have nothing to give to anyone. I remember in a time where I lost a relationship, like I had nothing to give. I had nothing to give to my friends. I had nothing to give to my family. I had nothing to give to my church. I had nothing to give to God. I was just, I'm just like mourning and grief filled my soul. And that's all I had capacity to do. Have you guys been there? You guys know what I'm talking about? This place where you don't have hope for the next day. You're like, I'm going to wake up and I hope that maybe life will abound, but you're just not sure. You're just not sure what the next day is going to hold. And it's in these seasons where we find ourselves just completely useless. And I think the reality is that we experience both seasons of this, but we also experience moments of this. We experience moments of dryness and deadness in our lives. And so some of you guys, you guys might be able to reflect and think of a season that you're in. Maybe you're in a season now of loss and mourning and like the words of Joel are resonating with you. Maybe you're able to reflect back and be like, oh, that space and that time Joel is now giving me language to understand and process. Maybe you're about to enter into a season of dryness and death. And how are we supposed to process that? And Joel is going to give us language there. But I also think that in our regular everyday lives, we also enter into like flash moments of this. And I think that the places that we enter into these flash moments is when <laughs> we look at our world and like things just start to pile on. So things, things at work start to go sideways. And you just feel like, man, I'm being buried. And you start to be stressed. And you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this place. And all around you, death kind of creeps into your work. And you're like, I don't know how to escape. It's really barren. It's really dry. And then you come home and your kids are like, I want your attention, Dad. I want your attention, Mom. And you're just like, I just gave all my attention to work. And they're like, yeah, but we want it too. And then your church calls up and they're like, hey, there's this retreat next weekend. We want that too. We want your attention too. And then your friends, they call you up and they're like, hey, we're doing this thing next weekend. Can you come to that? We want your attention too. And then maybe you have a pet or an animal or a dog or a cat and they're like, we want your attention too. I can't tell you how many times my cat has just put me over the edge. Like, you want to tell, like, the sin that comes out of my life? Like, I can handle the work stress. I can handle the stress of home. I can handle the stress of my son. It is after my son has gone to bed, and I am, like, ready to sit back, relax, and call it a night, that the cat meows, and I am ready to throw him out the door. 
Like, <laughs> like, I have had enough. I have had enough. And what is happening in that space is that I'm being laid bare. I'm being laid bare. And the death that's inside of me is rising up. And it's rising out of me. And it's ugly. And it's frustrating. And it has nothing to do with the cat for as much as I want it to be about the cat. It has everything to do with me and my attitude and how the things around me, that I'm not being present to them in the ways that are healthy and life-giving in the way that God wants them to be. Maybe it's your bank account wants more attention. I mean, any number of these things in our lives, I believe that God, I believe Joel is kind of beginning to describe, where you feel like the field that has been picked over by the locust. <laughs> the other day I got really frustrated because I just kept getting interrupted. I was like, I'm trying to work, and then... I was getting interrupted by helping Benjamin, and then I was getting interrupted by the cat because I'm trying to help Benjamin. And so it's like, I'm just like, I'm getting interrupted by the interruption, by the interruption, and I can't get anything done. Like, I can't be present to anything. And I just felt picked over like this field. And so what I believe is that whether it's in moments or whether it's in full seasons, because there are seasons. There are seasons of loss. There are seasons of destruction. There are seasons where we mourn for a long time. So whether it's in that moment of mourning and loss, or whether it's in that season of mourning and loss, the antidote to that space and the invitation is still the same. And that comes from Joel. So if he's speaking into our death, he's speaking into our destruction, he's speaking into our seasons and into our moments, and he says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return with fasting and weeping and mourning. Render your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave behind a blessing of a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. What we see here is an invitation to return. An invitation to return back to the heart of God, whether it's the moment or the season or the circumstance, or whether it's because of your own folly or the folly of others, God is saying, come back to me in these places of death. Come back to me where you feel picked over, where you feel run out, where you feel dry, where you feel like you have nothing left to give. And trust that I will meet you there. He says, I don't want you to, I don't want your rituals. He says, I don't want your clothes. When he says that I don't want your clothes, what he's saying is that a lot of times when people would be mourning because of death and loss, like they would go to God and come before God and they would rip their clothes off. At this point in their time of Israel, like this is probably the only pair of clothes that they have left. If they rip their clothes, they've got nothing left. God's saying like, keep your clothes on. I know you need those. What I really want is not your torn clothes, but what I want is your heart. What I want is your heart. What I want is for in these moments of death, in these seasons where everything is taken away from us and we have nothing left to give, he wants to say, I want to meet you there. And I don't want to take anything from you. I just want your heart. I just want you to give, you, give me my heart and I just want to protect you. I want to love you. What I want you to know is I want you to know that I'm gracious and that I'm merciful and that I'm not angry with you, that I love you. And I want to come and heal this place 
of disaster. But I want to come and heal you and strengthen you and restore you. If you continue reading in Joel through chapter 2, what you find is that the heart of God is to restore the people of Israel with everything that they've lost. If you've read the story of Job, Job loses everything. And then at the very end of Job, Job regains everything three times fold. This is the same story. The story of Joel and Israel is the same story of Job. And what God is saying is that he's like, when you come to me, when you have nothing left, trust that I will fill you up. Trust that I will give you everything that you need and more. Trust that I will pull you out of this place of destruction and death and mourning and that I will give you life. And that I will restore you in both the seasons and in the moments. I don't know about you, but I need restored in my moments. And I praise God that I'm not in a season of it right now, but there have been seasons in my life where if I did not turn back to God, if I did not hear his voice calling out to me, I don't know how dark that tunnel would have become. I don't know how far down the rabbit hole I would have fallen. But I heard God's grace and God's voice calling back to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the call of Jesus into our lives. Because he wants to restore us and he wants to strengthen us. And above all, it's in him that we're able to avoid this judgment. This judgment that's coming with flame, this judgment that Joel is talking about to the people and warning the people of Israel about, like, we, we don't get to avoid that. That judgment is for us too. And so that judgment is coming. And so in many ways, we need to heed Joel's warning carefully. We need to measure that because at the end of the day, judgment is coming. So when Joel comes, he gives warning and he gives punishment and he gives discipline. Those are all means of grace. But eventually there's a day coming where judgment's coming. And judgment isn't about grace and mercy anymore. But it's about justice. It's about justice being executed. And justice is going to be executed on our lives. Or we can turn to God and we can trust that justice was executed on his son, on the cross, through Jesus Christ. And that justice existed in that space. And that Jesus took the justice that was rightfully ours and bore that so that we can experience life anew with him. Judgment is coming. The question is, is are we ready to bear it or are we ready to turn back to Christ and allow him to bear it on our behalf? And I want you to know that God wants to bear it for us. He is jealous for us. And he's inviting us to live a life in presence with him. In Joel chapter 2, it says this. It says, The Lord is jealous for his land, and he has pity on his people. The Lord answered to his people. He said, Behold, I'm sending you grain, wine, oil, and you will be satisfied. Last week, we touched on the prodigal son and how the son returns back to the father for selfish reasons. He's there eating the pig slop and he's like, it's better if I was just home with my dad because my dad at least has some food for me that I can eat as a servant. What I want us to see this week is that the father is jealous for his sons because the prodigal son is a story of two sons. It's the story of the son who ran and spent everything, but it's also about the son who stayed at home and was bored. And both sons experienced death. 
The one son experienced death as he spent it all away and he's eating pig slop. The other son stayed at home and lived outside of the presence of the father and didn't have an imagination for the things of his father and how the things of his father were his. And he didn't feel welcomed into his father's home. He didn't feel like he had a place there. And he decided to live on the outside of the graces of his father. And he didn't even realize that what the father had was also his. And so it's a story of two sons who are both living in this place of desolation and destruction. And the father goes out to both of them. A lot of times we focus on the first son, that the father goes running out to that son. He gives him the ring, the robe, the fatted calf. We focus all of our energy on that. But there's this other son who's just sitting in the land of the father with his arms crossed and he's mad. And he's mad because he feels like the father hasn't given him any attention. He's having himself a pity party. His father invites him to come and join the party in the celebration of his son that has returned. And the son refuses. And so the father does what? He goes out to his son. I mean, that is just as absurd as the father running out to the son who disowned him. Now he's running out to his other son who's disowning him and not coming to his own party. The father puts himself in vulnerable positions, and what does he do? He invites both the sons in. He invites both the sons into his presence. And I bring up the older son because I think a lot of us are that older son. We find ourselves in the land of the father, but we're unfulfilled. We don't have the imagination of what God is trying to do with his possessions in our lives and how he's seeking to bless us too and include us too. And so in both cases, for the son, the father puts himself in a vulnerable spot and the father God puts himself in a vulnerable spot through his son, Jesus Christ, for you and me to show his love to us. And it's through Jesus on a cross, giving up his life for us to show how he loves for us. Joel ends chapter 2 with these kind of famous verses. And he says this, it's, a, it's definitely like one of the most prophetic verses of Joel. And it says this, it says, It shall come to pass afterward, after all this destruction, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and old men shall see dreams, and younger men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I mean, this is the trajectory of the story. The story that begins with death, destruction, desolation, locusts eating everything, killing everything. When you are in that place, when you're in that season of death, or you're in that moment of death, guess what's not there? A dream and a vision for the future. You're just kind of lost in a daze out at sea. I don't know if you guys have been there, but there's times in my life where I'm just like, I'm just floating and I don't know where I'm going. And I feel alone. I feel isolated. The image of like just being on a raft in the middle of the ocean with no coastline, with no sun, with no stars, like that happens. And it's in those places of death and destruction and of isolation where we have no hope. We have no vision for the future. We have no dreaming. There's nothing to dream. You just hope that you're going to make it one more moment. But the trajectory of this story is that God is going to show up. That we don't have to give anything. We don't have to render offerings to him. And I think that that's what the beautiful part of this story is, is that when we have nothing left to give, that's exactly where God wants to show up. 
And that's where he wants to give us everything that he has. It's where he wants to pour out his spirit. He doesn't want to just like sprinkle it on. But he wants to pour it out and he wants to cover us with his love and with his grace. And he wants to give us visions and dreams and a hope for the future. And we see this happen. We see this happen in the New Testament in Acts. On the day of Pentecost, God pours out his spirit on his people. And Peter stands up and he reports this. He makes a declaration of this. He says, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. The Holy Spirit had come out and they had begun speaking in different languages. He says, since it's only the third hour of the day, he's like, they haven't been awake long enough to get drunk. That's what he's saying. He's like, something else is happening here. And he goes back and he goes back to Joel and he says this. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your younger men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. And even my male and female servants, and in those days I will pour out my spirit and prophesy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's saying, you know that thing in Joel? You know that thing that you read about where Joel said that someday this is going to come to pass, that God is going to show up and he's going to wreck our world in ways that we can't even imagine? He's saying it's happening and it's happening right now. Now And it's happening because of Jesus Christ and it's happening because of his Holy Spirit. And the reality is that it's also for us now. That it's not just for them someplace else, somewhere else, but that the Holy Spirit is wanting to show up and pour and fill us now. That God wants to show up in our seasons of death. That God wants to show up in our moments of death. And he is calling us back to return to him so that he can pour his Spirit into us. He is ready to fill us with his spirit now to save us from our sins, to save us from our shame, to save us from our hurt, to save us from the things that have happened to us that we had no control over, to save us in our mourning, and to offer us new vision and new dreams and new hope for the future that is life anew with the Father. I know we started heavy this morning about death, but what I want to give us is a hope and a vision for the future and the reality that can be experienced now that Jesus is near, that his presence is near and he's just trying to wake us up to it and that God loves us and that he is with you now and that he can take your mourning. He says, come to you with mourning, with sadness, like he can handle it. Come with your anger and your frustration and your disappointments. He wants it. He's inviting that in. I want you to know that he is with you, that God delights in you, that God likes you. A lot of times we talk about God loving us, and we're like, yeah, God loves us, it's his job, right? Like, I felt that way about my mom. Whatever my parents would tell me, they're like, Justin, you know that we love us. I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to, you're my mom. <laughs> like, I, there were times I'd tell my mom, your love doesn't count. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, like, you're my mom. Like, of course you love me. And like, but what I'm saying in that space and what I think we ask ourselves in that space is like, do you like me? That's a different type of question. And I believe that Jesus is saying, yes, I like you. And I want the best for you. I want the absolute best for you. I want to free you from your places of death and destruction and decay. 
where you have felt picked over. He's like, I want to fill that up. I want to meet you in that place. And I want to bring new life to it again. So it's my hope that we would surrender to the Spirit this morning, that we would give our moments of decay, that we would give our seasons of decay over to Him. And we're about to enter into this kind of like perfect place of reflection in communion. Because in communion, in Jesus Christ, he enters into the most desolate place through his death. He's rejected by his friends. He's rejected by his family. He's rejected by his followers. He's rejected by God. And he enters into the place of greatest death, of greatest shame. And he conquers it. And so Jesus knows what you're going through. And he wants to meet you in that place. And he wants to bring his conquering love and life through it. That is the trajectory of Lent. Lent begins with this dust and it ends with Easter. And it carries us through death, through the tomb, onto the other side of life. And I believe that that's what Jesus wants us to experience now. I believe that's what he wants to experience today as we turn back to him. So I pray that as we go into a place of worship and reflection that we would hear God's voice of return. That we would experience his healing. That we would experience his deliverance. That we would experience freedom from the things that are destroying us right now. And so I want to call the worship team back up. And actually, I hope this doesn't throw you off, but I'm going to like do an audible real quick. I would love to sing the song that we sang going into the sermon, like, again. So if we could sing that one, and then you can cut whatever one you want. <laughs> but I want to sing that one again. Because, all right, because that one was powerful. What I also want is I want to offer prayer. I just want to offer prayer um, in the back there. I'm going to stand back there. If no one comes, that's fine. Um, but... Um, I brought with me some oil this morning, and there are many times in the Bible where people anoint the heads of other people with oil for the sake of healing, for the sake of restoration. And there's nothing special about oil. Like, the oil isn't holy. It's not, there's nothing magical about the oil, but the oil is this symbol. It's this physical symbol of God being present. And we, we're physical, and we need symbols. We need communion. That's a symbol of Christ being inside of us. And so if you would like to be anointed with oil and prayed a blessing over and prayed for healing, for whatever destruction, whether it's momentary, whether it's a season, like I want to give that to you. I want to bless you. I want to send you. I want to anoint you with oil and pray for your healing this morning as God calls us to in the book of James. And so I want to extend that to you guys. I'll be in the back. If no one comes, fine. But I just want you to know that that's there, that I want to bless you, that I want to see God heal you, and that I want to pray that for you for free. All right? So let's pray and let's worship God and turn back to him. Dear God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the seasons that we get picked over. God, they hurt. They hurt a lot. And we don't understand it. But God, we thank you for the opportunity that it is for us to wake up 
to you and your presence that's near and to turn back to your spirit, to turn back to your heart. And God, I pray that you would speak to us in the moments of the coming week that are going to come where death and destruction are going to try and creep back in and that we would be warned and that we would quickly turn to you and that you would quickly (laughs) show up, that you would make us aware of your presence that's already there and that we would be able to be filled with your spirit again. God, we know that your spirit is in us, that it's living, that it's breathing, that it's active. God, wake us up to your spirit that's moving inside of us. God, stir our hearts towards life in you. God, we pray for your healing on this congregation this morning. God, we pray for all the hurts, the fears, the anxieties, everything that's going on in our worlds, both private and public, God. God, we pray that you would heal it, that you'd bring it underneath your love and your grace, and that you would restore us anew with you, that we would be a congregation that celebrates life anew with you, and that we can praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you restore us. In your name we pray. Amen.